0: Good morning. So there are, probably most of us in this room can remember, especially if you were living in Texas a couple years ago when Hurricane Harvey uh, came in out of the Gulf and devastated huge, Uh, sections of our state, but most especially communities up and down the coast. There are are communities uh, on the coast that have still not fully recovered uh, to this day from the flooding and just the uh, absolute devastation that took place. Here in Austin, if you were living here at that time, we didn't get the worst of it by far, but we did get a lot of wind and a lot of rain and some flooding. And so if you remember, if you were here then, uh, I did what probably many of you did if you were living here, which is when the wind and rain started picking up, I went and wandered outside of our house, like wandering, looking around for all the things that we've left outside that we wouldn't want to get blown away or ruined and trying to bring it in, and as I was uh, uh, getting stuff and putting it away, uh, a car that I had never seen pulled into our neighbor's driveway. And yes, I am one of those creepy neighbors that, that knows, when it's like, I haven't seen that car before. And so uh, pulls in, and a woman gets out of the car and uh, her three children. And it's a minivan, it's packed full of stuff, and our next-door neighbors, who are, are lovely people, uh, Jeff and Teresa, as soon as the car pulled in, they came out of their house. Now, Jeff, our neighbor, is from Houston. That's where he grew up, and it turned out that the woman who got out of the car was his sister and her three children. They still live in Houston, and they had decided when they saw that the storm was really not seeming like it was changing track and coming onto shore that it was best for them to leave. And so she had packed up her minivan with the things that you would choose to most try to save if you had one carload of stuff, and it did include her three children, and uh, put them into a minivan and drove to Austin to stay with her brother while the storm came in. It had taken them over 14 hours to drive from Houston to Austin, and that's not a fun drive when there's no traffic, but you can imagine 14 hours to get from Houston to Austin, crammed full of stuff and children. And when she was talking about it, her husband had stayed in Houston in their home to try to protect the house in whatever way he could from the storm and whatever's gonna happen. So she is tired, her children are tired, uh, exhausted and worried about her husband. And I think because I was standing there staring, Jeff introduced me. He was like, why don't you meet our neighbor? This is." And she told me this, and as the rain was picking up for us, I said, well, you know, and I'm in this genuinely. It's like, well, gosh, we're going to be praying for for your husband. And as he's there, and she went inside. Uh, The the rain starts picking up here in Austin. The the wind's picking up. We're inside, and uh, as the wind's sort of howling and stuff, uh, all of a sudden there's a knock on our front door. So I go and open the front door, and as I open the front door, there is my next-door neighbor, Jeff, who is wearing a raincoat with the hood pulled up, soaking wet, and he says... Do you have a chainsaw? <laughs> there is no good scenario where that conversation's going to go at that point. Like there's nothing positive that, that that is about to take place when you start with that. And uh, and I said, "No, I don't I don't I don't have a chainsaw." He's like, "Well, hey, why don't you come outside with me? And I'm looking at the rain, I'm like, how about I don't? And he was like, "Ah, I think you should come outside with me. So I put on my raincoat, pull up the hood, I go outside, the wind and everything's going, and he points and there's a tree that has fallen. And I don't mean a branch, I mean an entire tree that the wind has blown over, that has come out by the roots and I trace it down and it is our tree on our property that has fallen over, but it didn't fall on our property, it fell onto Jeff's property. And not only did it fall onto Jeff's property, it covered his driveway so that they couldn't get out of their house, and not only did it cover his driveway, but a good portion of it landed on his sister's minivan. I know. That's what I felt. And so we're sitting there staring at her a second, and he goes, so do you have a chainsaw? Now, I don't say what I'm about to say with any amount of pride but I'm not a chainsaw kind of guy, right? I wish I was. I wish I was the kind of person that people from my neighborhood just would show up going, hey, we need a chainsaw, and you look like the guy that's got like four of them there. I would love to be that person, but in my 45 years of life, it has never once entered my head of going, I think I'll go buy a chainsaw. Like it's never even occurred to me that you would go and do that. So I was like, "Uh, no, I don't have a chainsaw. And I said, looking at this entire tree, I was like, but let me go see what I got inside. like knowing I had nothing, but I I probably had like a teaspoon. I go inside and Beth's going, what happened? I I told her and she goes, we don't have a chainsaw. I'm like, I know, but I gotta just see what we have. I'm just trying to think for a second. Just give me some room. And I go out in the garage and I found this little hacksaw that's about this big. And I came back into the house and she looked at me and she goes, it's gonna take you three hours to get through a branch. And I was like, but I've gotta do something. And she goes, but she goes, can I just throw something out? On our neighborhood Facebook page, uh, there was a person when the storm was coming in who said, if you have trees go down or any problems and need any help, contact me and I can come and help. I'm like, listen, We don't do that. No, look at my little, we're good. And I said, but the other part is, you don't invite someone with a chainsaw to come to your house when you're like, we're totally defenseless and don't have anything. (laughs) Would you bring your chainsaw and come visit us for a while? So I go outside, wind is going, in the rain, my hood up, and I'm like on this one little branch, and I'm going, and Jeff's shoulders when he saw the hacksaw were like, All of a sudden, after 10 minutes, still on the same branch, like this, this truck pulls up because Beth, in her wisdom, didn't listen to me and contacted the person that said I can help. And this individual who I've never seen in my life gets out of his truck, pulls out this chainsaw, walks up. I feel very I felt a little fear when he was coming up with the, with the chainsaw and just starts up. He's like, let me help you out. And like, just kind of knocks off these branches. And he's like, haul these down to the street. All of a sudden, I'm just following orders from this guy with the chainsaw. My kids come outside, they're helping to drag stuff down. He starts cutting through the trunk. We start stacking pieces of this trunk on the street. And, and for like two hours, the chain on his chainsaw broke. I didn't know that that could happen. He was like, the chain broke. I'm like, is that possible? Like, what does that mean? And he's like, "Well, I got to change it." He pulls out a spare chain from his truck, and I'm just like sitting there going, "Show me more! Like, this is <laughs> this is great! Like, how, what else do you do?" And and when he finished and we had it all stacked up on the street, he's soaking wet. We're all full of wood chips. He's I'm soaking wet. And the girls are. I said, "I I don't know how to thank you." I said, "Can we pay you?" Which is like the only thing I could think of in the moment. And he goes, "No, man. I work in the tech industry. I don't need your money." I'm like, well, I'm a pastor, so I need to keep mine. Uh, I don't get bonuses like you do. And he looked at his phone, and someone else had contacted him who he didn't know. And he got in his truck and drove away. I don't know his name. I have no idea. That act can be summed up with a lot of wonderful words, but one of the ones that comes mind most immediately for me is it was a kind thing to do, wouldn't you say? It was an act of kindness in a world that we don't see that very often. Has anyone ever been kind to you in a big way or a small way that made a difference? Kindness can change our lives, can change our world in small ways and in large ways. And kindness is the fifth fruit of the Spirit that Paul writes about In Galatians chapter 5 which is guiding our gifts of grace series and we're going to be talking about how we live that out as God's people this week. So we're gonna bring the scripture passage up here you've probably memorized it by now because we've been on these two verses for a while but this is what Paul writes Galatians 5 he says by contrast the fruit of the Spirit is love joy peace patience kindness generosity faithfulness gentleness and self-control there is no law against such things. For instance, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that no matter who we are, how we walk in here, that we would hear your gospel, your good news today, and it would liberate us to live an abundant life. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've talked about from the beginning of this series, uh, we're spending one week, so nine weeks, on the nine fruit of the Spirit, spending one Sunday in the following week both talking about each of the fruit and asking how do we cultivate it in our life. And we've said from the beginning that we don't do this because it's about religious rules. Paul's not looking at us at any point going, you better be loving, you better have peace in your heart, you better be kind, you better be generous. It's not about that. But Paul is saying to us is that if people are coming alive in Jesus, this is the stuff that we're going to see. That if covenant is doing its job, it's not just that there's people doing church activities, but that we are sending people, starting with me, out into Austin who are kinder, who are more generous, who have peace in their heart, who exhibit joy in their lives, because that's a great life. That's an abundant life. That's what we should want for our children and our grandchildren. That's what we should want for ourselves and each other. Like if you have joy and peace and kindness and generosity and love in your life, that is a great life to live. That's a great day. That's a great year if you have those things. So this is what, what Paul's saying, is like, this is what we're going for. So in each week we've been asking the question first, what do these words mean? How do we define it? In this case, kindness. And secondly, how do we cultivate it? And we're just going to keep following that pattern again today. So what do we mean when he says kindness? The reason this is important, and we're going to do something here that I actually don't do very often because I don't like it, and it's that to define what he means by kindness, we're going to go back to the original Greek language in which this is written. Pastors do this sometimes, and most of the time I think they do it to show off, or in their own minds to justify why they paid tuition to seminary and Greek and Hebrew were a part of it. I don't often find that it's actually that essential to what the sermon is about. But in this case, the Greek word is critically important. And the reason we know it's important is because up until this point with the first four fruits of the Spirit, no matter what translation of the Bible you have, the first four follow the same pattern. Love, joy, peace, patience. We know those words in Greek. They translate pretty easily to English words. But starting here, if you've ever learned the fruits of the Spirit before, and you're like, I don't think those were all the words, This is where they start seeing the the different translations. So if you've ever sat there and thought, I thought goodness was one of the fruits of the Spirit. This is the word that would have been translated in some translations as goodness. Ours translates it as kindness. And the reason we need to know the Greek is because what it means is is that there's not an exact uh, equivalent in English for the one word in Greek. And so the translators are trying to come up with what's the best word here. So goodness, maybe kindness. The Greek word that we need to know is kreistotes. Two Ts, kreistotes. I want you to say it after me, repeat it after me. totes It's a great word. If you're feeling down today, just say that word. It like makes you feel better just to say it. totes. And kreistotes in English doesn't translate to an exact Uh, English word. It's a phrase. It's a series of English words to get the real meaning. And it's critical that you hear this today. It's critical you get this. Christotes in English means God in his mercy providing for us. Okay, I want to say that again. It's really critical we get this because this is what Paul means by kindness. God in his mercy providing for us. Christotes. So kind of goodness, kind of kindness, those are certainly related. God in his mercy providing for us. How has God in his mercy provided for you? How has God in his mercy provided for us? How has God exhibited kindness to you and to us? You see, what we see in this definition is, that, like we've seen with the fruit of the Spirit, this is all about God. This is not Paul giving us rules saying, you better be kind, you better do this, it's got to start with you. Have your willpower, leave here today saying, I will be kind. The definition here says it all starts with God. It's, It's evidence that God's Spirit is within us. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And what it's saying is, God is these things. God is kind. And so it's right that the definition is saying, God in His mercy, who's provided for us. How has God provided for you? Now usually, culturally in America, we wait to celebrate this next month, on the fourth Thursday of the month, when we call Thanksgiving, when we think about what are the blessings that are in our life for which we are grateful, for which we're thankful. We as a church are going to celebrate Thanksgiving in October, this week, because I want us to be thinking about how is God in his mercy provided for us, for you. When we think about what we have in our life, and if you think about this at Thanksgiving, one of the things that we're often maybe struggle with is like, I've got these things in my life, but I've also worked for them, right? I mean, it's like, I have this job, or I have these degrees, or I have this this, uh, responsibility of of paying tuition and bills and everything else, and I'm the one who's doing that. I'm the one that got my degree. I'm the one who took on student debt. I'm the one that uh, is working at this job. I'm the one that's having to put in weekends. I'm the one that's dealing uh, with all different kinds of stuff. I'm sacrificing for this to happen, and all of that is true, but one of the things that we have to do is understand that when you think about all of the things in your life for which you're grateful, it's important to all realize how little control we have over the factors that allow us to have to be where we are today. Like many of you, I work hard, I think. I have sacrificed. I have gone to school and gotten multiple degrees. It didn't feel like the Holy Spirit that was up at 2 a.m. writing a paper on Christian theology. I was the one that was up doing that. We have bills to pay and all this kind of, I get that. But if I really look at my life, there is so much that factors into where I am today that I had no control over. I had no control over, for example, being born in the time that we're in and in the country that we're in in order to have the opportunities of of doing lots of different things that people born in other places might not have the same chances or opportunities. I didn't deserve that. I didn't earn that. I was born into a family where reading and ideas were celebrated, where discussion took place. I didn't do anything to deserve that over anyone else. I went to some good schools that my family was able to send me to. I went to a good college and I didn't graduate with tons of debt because of my parents. And I am aware of the fact that I didn't do anything to earn that. I did nothing to deserve that. And so therefore, I have to be aware of the fact that while I might feel like at times I'm living on third base, I didn't hit a triple. And it's a mistake for those of us who have what we have in life to believe that what we have, we are responsible for. Therefore, it's not ours. God in his mercy has provided for us. I'm aware, and I've shared this with you before, that having two daughters, if they were born in other places around the world, it doesn't matter how smart they are. They do not have the opportunities to go and to go to school and to do the things they're gonna do. They didn't earn that. They're not better than anyone else. And that shouldn't make them feel guilty, but hopefully it battles the entitlement that I see around us all the time. Because God has been good to them. And therefore, and reflecting on that, hopefully makes them, hopefully makes me aware of not just becoming entitled, but becoming kind. That God, in his mercy, has provided. How has God, in his mercy, provided for you? Look at your life. What are you grateful for? And to see the fingerprints of God that are all over this. We love in our culture the myth of the self-made person. Oh, he's a self-made man. No, he's not. No, he's not. You're like, well, you don't know him. I don't need to know him. There is no such thing. Because 90 plus percent of the factors that determine the trajectory of our lives we are not in control of. And that's, that, that's not, it's not about making us feel like less. In fact, when we really see that God is blessing us, it should make us feel like more. Because then it calls us to a life where we respond and do and say, how has God in his mercy provided for you? This week I had an interesting opportunity to sit in that. I, I was traveling this week. I went to California for a few days, and uh, it, was, it was busy while I was there. And so when I got back to the airport in San Diego to fly back to Austin, um, uh, the you know the workstations in in airports, where you plug in and, and um, plug in your computer and your iPad. And I got on my iPad um, to start looking at emails. If I owe you an email. I will get to it, but it was like, it's amazing in a few days, you're like, I don't even know this many people. Like, how is my inbox so full? It just, it, it, so I'm doing what everyone's doing. You know, we're at those workstations and, and we're there in this long line of no one speaking or interacting with anyone else, right? You plug your thing in and you're just kind of doing this and and people around you are all doing this and and, and no one's talking at all. And and then in the workstation across from me, um, this person left. I didn't know who they were. I didn't talk to them. Didn't look at them like, right? Because I'm doing my thing I got to get through emails and they left. And as I'm sitting there typing, all of a sudden, this voice comes up to the the workstation across from me and says, hey, are you saving this for anyone? I was like, why are you talking? (laughs) Just grab it. Do what everyone else does. Just set up camp there and then fight them off when they come back. (laughs) And she said, well, I just don't want to take it if you're saving this for someone. And I look up and in front of me is this living, breathing mural of art is the only way I can describe it. It was a it was a young woman with more tattoos than I have ever seen in my entire life. And I don't feel like I lived this amazingly sheltered existence, but I was, I mean, it was like hairline all down her sleeves of her arms, down each fingertip on the palms of her hand, like just this, this, this mural of art that was in front of me and, 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 piercings and this wonderful smile. And she says, um, I just, if you're saving this for somebody, uh, I just didn't want to take it. And I'm like, no, I'm not saving." It. you know, like kind of going. And, uh, and, and then she says, I also saw that you got a hamburger from down there and I need to grab something to eat before I get on the flight. Uh, were they good there? You're like, yeah, they're good. Uh, and then she said, are you flying to Austin? I'm like, yeah, I'm flying to Austin. Uh, and she said, were you here for work? I'm like, Yep here for work, and then I could feel Jesus' disappointment with me, like, in that? <laughs> and so finally, I was sitting there typing, I was like, oh, are you flying to Austin, too? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm flying to Austin, and it's where I live, and I was out here for work, and I said, you know, you know, what do you do? And she said, well, I'm in sales, and we had a great conference out here, and really well, and it's great, and I said, that's fantastic. And then she asked the question that every pastor hates. So what do you do? and you sit there and you're like, I'm gonna lie, I'm gonna lie, I'm gonna lie, Jesus understands it's okay in this one instance, and you're like, I can't lie, I'm not supposed to lie, and you're like, I'm a pastor. Because that normally turns into uh, someone just like being like, oh, that's fantastic, and walking away, and that makes you feel a little weird, or they start confessing, so it's like, oh, I haven't done this in a while. And you're like, if I just kind of like do this, can we just like say we're forgiven and move forward and uh, everything? Or they'll start talking about how the church has hurt them, which has happened. And they you're sitting there going, listen, I'm a pastor and I'm sorry for whatever we've done. Like, I'm sure we have done bad stuff. Like, I, I, and so if I can just apologize, I've got so many emails I've got to write right now before we get on the flight. And uh, so I was like, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And she goes, that is so cool. And I looked at and I was like, really (laughs) because I'm also sorry for anything we've ever done and she was like she goes no that is so cool she said I my life has been changed by the ministry of this church in South Austin I was like really and she said, I said, what do you mean? She said, I struggled with addiction for years. I was addic- addicted to narcotics for years. And I was so angry about some pain that had happened in my life. And I was so angry about how things seemed to work out for everybody else and never for me. And so I just went down this pay- path and I became alienated from my family and I was cut off. And all of a sudden, one of my only and last friends in the world, as I struggled with this for years, came and invited me to a recovery group that meets at this church in our neighborhood that's in South Austin. And I went there said, it's not a ministry of the church, but it's just held there and they just open their doors for us and let us come in. And I've been sober for eight years now and it has changed my life. And I said, that, I said, that's amazing. My family has been impacted by recovery in profound ways. And our church opens its doors too in a different part of the city. And, and, and it reminded me, and I just have to say this, uh, of the importance of those pledge cards in your chairs. Because pledging is not a financial thing. It's a, it's a, it's a spiritual commitment that, with financial implications. And the first part is how you want to participate in that. Because we're not a church that four families give 40% of the budget, like some churches are. We're a congregation that is dependent on everyone getting involved and participating in exhibiting generosity. And it's a spiritual decision on your part of of how you want to live that out with financial implications. But the fun part as a church is then our session has to craft a budget. And that's not a financial decision either. How do we, like what this woman's exhibiting with this church in South, Austin. How are we a love letter from God to the city? Because she had no part where the church like, are you a member here? And what are you doing? It's like, they were just pouring into her life and her world was different and her family was different and all this stuff was happening. And, And it's just this great opportunity for us to go, are we living this out or not? It's so important next week. And she's a beneficiary of another congregation doing hopefully what we're doing as well. Anyway, so the congregation, it ended in just this great thing, and at the very end, as we're getting ready to board, and I was telling her goodbye, we were, in, we were in different parts of the plane. She said, can I just give you one word of advice? And you're like, yes. Oh, we almost made it. Uh, and I'm sorry for whatever we've done, like, uh, like whatever it is. And she said, there are a lot of pastors that when you guys talk about salvation, you make it only about what happens to you after you die. And she said, and I bet that's a part of it, but salvation for me has to do with what God's done in my life now and where my life is now versus 10 years ago. And I said, well, how do you live that out every day? And she said, every day that anger is still in me at what I've been through. And every day that resentment when I start looking at other people's lives can start welling up inside. And I can start looking at thought that I'd like to get married someday and I'd like to be a mom someday. And there's all kinds of things that I still want to do with my life that I don't know if they're going to work out. But she said the spiritual practice that I have learned is spending time every morning giving thanks to God for the blessings in my life. And she said y'all should talk more about that. And so Janin, this young lady's name, is going to wrap up our sermon today because she's right. If she knew ancient Greek, what she'd be saying is, you need to talk more about Christotes you need to talk more and help people be aware of how God in his mercy has provided for us all. You should be helping other people to celebrate that because she said, it's not about the fact that there's no pain in my life, but when I'm aware of how much God has done and provided, it gives me all of this hope for what God's gonna do next. And I can release that anger and I can release that resentment. And I can release all that stuff bubbling up in me, but I gotta start every day with that. And so that is my invitation as we prepare. Prepare ourselves for Pledge Sunday next week is that this should be one of the most fun weeks that we have as a congregation because we are going to celebrate Thanksgiving in October. And we're going to do it for a week of just taking the time to reflect and to tell stories and to share with one, or the, one another this week how has God in His mercy provided for you? How is God in his mercy provided for us? Because the apostle Paul is saying, the world needs kindness. And if the kindness is based on your willpower, saying, so go out of here and be kind, we're gonna fail. But if we spend every day going, oh my gosh, this starts with God and how kind God has been towards me, then we will sit in that place and become kindness in this world, we will reflect it just as Janin was doing in her conversation with me. How has God, in his mercy, provided for you? What a great, great week we should have in front of us. All of us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that this week we would be aware of your mercy and your kindness and your provision in our lives. We pray to have weeks of joy and thanksgiving because of the love and the provision you shower upon us. And may we walk into here next week not ready to do our religious duty but ready to become kindness to this world that you love so much. We pray for your leading and your guiding. In Jesus' name, amen.